Right, we're back. We're back here with more Queer as Folk. So you know what that means? That means more Nathan. That means more Vince. That means more Stuart. And that means more Phil. Let's go. Oh my God. I love Phil. You could even say I'm a philophile. I personally won't, but you know. Nah, don't say that. If you want to, let's move on. And welcome to Davis on Davis. Oh my god, I almost forgot. I was about to say Queer as Folk. That's not what the podcast is called. That's what the podcast is covering right now. Uh, I am Louis Davis. That's where the Davis comes from. I'm joined by Zach Copeland-Green. And that's where the on comes from, apparently. And we're covering every TV show since 1999, written by Russell T. Davis. And that's where the third Davis comes from. The second Davis. It's the third word, but it's the second Davis. The third word. There's only two Davis. Yes. Unless, of course, well, you you don't know, my middle name might be Davis. Is it? Is your middle name Davis? Well, I was going to say, don't ask me, because then it's, it's Schrodinger's middle name. You know, my name, sim, my middle name simultaneously is and isn't Davis. But you've asked me, and now I have to tell you that my middle name isn't Davis. That's good, because it almost felt like you were trying to steal Welsh valour there. So. No, 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 no. There's not, there's not a Welsh... As far as I'm aware, there's not a Welsh drop of blood in my body. And that sounds like I'm saying that out of pride. I'm saying that out of shame. I wish I was Welsh. That's the correct answer. Now, before we get into the episode, I guess we should do a, a little recap of what we've been up to since the last uh, time we recorded one of these. So, Zach, have you been up to anything interesting? Anything gay? Well, one and the same thing, actually. Um, not really. I mean, I have. I mean, I left the house the other day and I thought I was getting so into the podcast, so into rewatching Queer as Folk, that I thought I'd go out and do some market research. And I, I, I actually, I went on a night out the other night. Um, I didn't quite make it into the... So I live in I live in South Manchester and obviously Canal Street is right in the centre of Manchester. I didn't quite make it into, into town, as we call it, but I made it into another South Manchester location, something that will come up a bit later in today's episode. So, you know, you could say I've done something interesting. You could say I've done something gay. I researched queer as folk in person on my feet. What about you, Louis? Well, firstly, I just want to say into town. That's, that's quite the expression. I don't think I've ever heard that used anywhere else <laughs> apart from manchester so that's that's quite the expression well i don't know i i saw i saw a tiktok the other day that it was you know there's that trend at the moment this is really going to date this episode by the way there's a trend you know where two people talk to each other and they say we're x and that means y we're x and that means z do you know do you know the trend i'm no, talking about but i can imagine i saw one of those where it was like we're mancunians we don't say we're going into the city centre. We say we're going into town. And I, I'd always thought to me that that was a very common thing that happened across in cities across the UK. But this TikTok was selling it like it was a particular Mancunian thing. So that's why I've gone onto this podcast and said that it is. That's the thing a lot of TikToks do is they will take things that are fairly, are fairly common and, and try and turn them into something specific to one place. I've seen that with other things i can't think of any off the top of my head but i have definitely seen that it's a thing it's people we're all the blood we're all the same and people are scared of that (laughs) and they want to deny that 
And it's like, no, we're all the same for better or worse. We're all the same in the sense of we're one race for human race and we should all come together and hold hands. But we're also all the same in that you're not special. <laughs> all right. You just, I think you just called me out in more ways than one there, Louis. Oh, no, I was calling the TikTok out, but, you know. Well, I, I enjoyed the TikToks. If, oh, did you catch strays because, because, because you're a special little boy? Is that, is that what's going on? No, I'm, I'm swift. I'm, I'm moving the conversation on to ask you, have you done anything interesting or gay since I last spoke to you, Louis? Um, well, uh, yesterday I saw the movie Poor Things, the new film by Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh, there's a bit of gay sex towards the end. Apart from that, I scrolled social media. My feed's pretty gay, so... Do you not... Is is um, Emma Stone's Golden Globe winning performance not gay enough for you? She she was mothering in that, yeah, you know. You was go. it a cryptic spoiler if I say she was mothering? That's not going to spoil anything for the plot. But if you watch it, you'll know why it's funny that I said that she's mothering. And to be fair, I was sat here going, I don't think I'd ever thought of emma stone as someone who would mother you know she seems she has this sort of eternal youth about her in my head yeah well actually no it was more, more accurate to say that she was daughtering okay okay now now i feel like you're treading ever more into plot details now yeah let's let's not review um poor things and let's review and talk about curious folk maybe yes so today we are covering the episodes three and four a Night Out and D-I-S-C-O. Which spells? Spells disco. Whoa! But they have very little full stops to show that it's, uh, it stands for something. I thought you were just uh, treating me like a, a dog or a small child that couldn't spell because, you know, the re- reaction I have to the word disco. Because, I mean, you were saying that you've, you've never been to a club on Canal Street, so you are pretty averse to the word disco. Averse? Oh, no, no, no. It's because I, if, I, um, if they let me loose, you know, I, the, the clubs would shut down by the sort of the, the flames that I leave when I hear some disco. Of course, of course, of course. Well, anyway, without further ado, let's get into the episode. So we start with a recap of the you know, previous episode, which you always get. But one thing I noticed that I didn't spot before was that there's this woman who fancies Vince, which, you know, I'm sure that'll go well, considering he's gay. And her name is Rosalie. Uh, just saying that now so that I don't... Because there are a lot of names. There, there are. I thought you were about to say that you hadn't noticed that that woman was a character before. I was going to say we talked about her last time. We talked about her in detail, about how much she loved TV. But no, no, it's just her name. It's just her name. Yes. So the episode, I, it rather... Um, unexpected to me it, it opens at the airport doesn't it? it at least i think it's an airport yes yes it opens at the airport uh and we have vince and phil love that guy and also alfred the baby he's with them for some reason i think alfred's slowly becoming my favorite character he's certainly the most unproblematic unpro- character in the um in the show along with phil obviously certainly uh they're about to meet alexander who's coming back from japan and he's a bit camp apparently vince says that calling him a bit camp is like calling hitler a bit naughty (laughs) i love meeting alexander but it makes you realize when you meet him with all his flamboyance with all his campness with his own bloody entourage you realize oh my god we've been watching a show about gay men and we've had our three main characters and Phil, um, who are archetypes of gay men, it hadn't clicked with me that we were watching a show 
made in the 90s that had avoided campness up to this point. And then all of a sudden, beginning of episode three, the camp is shoved in our face as if to say, you know, not every gay man is as camp as fuck, but also they exist and they're wonderful and they're fabulous and they are nuanced characters as much as everyone else. I think Alex is is one of my favourite characters. I think when he's first introduced and he's, you know, not particularly sympathetic, a bit of a joke character, possibly. He's amazing. He's stunning. He's flawless. He steals a scene. And then actually later on in the series, not to spoil anything, when his character is shown to be more complex than that, it's also done really well. So uh, I'm very glad we finally got to the episode where he hits our screens. And his entourage is his brand new boyfriend, um, which Vince and Phil were not expecting because Vince was clearly trying to set Phil up with Alexander, is his new Japanese boyfriend, Lee, who can't speak a word of English. And it's it's so funny because you think that, oh, they must have met in Japan. They actually met in the Mile High Club. So they met on the plane. Which is, I'm just trying to think about the logistics of... Given that we find out he's a, he's a prostitute, I'm just curious as to how this was, what Lee was expecting being on a plane to Manchester, meeting a man, not speaking a word of it. It's just an absurd scenario. I can't really see it playing out in my head. Maybe they met on the Mile High Club on the way to Japan. Maybe, maybe. He just He's a frequent flyer, maybe, who knows. It would be funny, though, if Vince had been trying to set Alexander up with Phil, didn't know about Lee, if because it's literally only happened in the last couple of hours on the plane to Manchester. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> that would be quite... That would be quite funny. But it's very absurd. Yeah. And there's also the other guy on the other side of Alexander, who's ne- who he keeps appearing in the episode, and again, whose name I did not catch. Is it Dane? Dane. Probably, yes. Yes, it was. He's sort of there, you know? He's like also camp, but not quite as camp. Yeah, exactly. And he also gets up into crazy scrapes with Alexander in this episode. Yes. So they're at the airport... And they get dropped off at Stuart's because I think Stuart said he would like, you know, let him stay. But he didn't realise there'd be quite this many people staying. It is. It's three people. But I've I've sold it as an entourage. And obviously they feel that it's a whole entourage with its whole presence. I feel like there are like two other people. But they they don't come off the plane, but they seem to be at Stuart's later. Uh, Maybe they were just invited. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they just sort of... Anyway, it's clear that Alex then clearly has this sort of magnetic draw to all these gays. Absolutely. So, meanwhile, Nathan is is off doing his own things and it turns out that he is pretending to be Stuart to use his taxi account. It's it's kind of a crazy moment because when we meet him for the first time in this episode, he sat at home watching cartoons and it's sort of like, oh, you know, you've seen him get up to all these adult scrapes, you know, having sex, being on a night out, trying to differ himself from other other kids at school. And there he is watching cartoons. And then the second his mum walks out the door, he's on the phone to the taxi company pretending to be Stuart. And I was like, that, for someone who so far has been so confused by the wealth of generic names that we've had so far, to see Nathan be call himself Stuart, I was like, oh, have I lost the plot? No, yes, because you were mixing up Nathan and Stuart. Yeah. But the thing is, actually, for me in my notes... I kept mixing up Vince and Stuart. Vince just sounds like more of a stud name to me and Stuart just sounds more of a square name to me and it's just the other way around. And you know what? You wouldn't be the only person who thought that because someone in episode four thinks that, wink, wink. Ah, uh, yes. But I'm getting ahead of myself. 
as I tend to always do. We will get to that. Stuart, uh, sorry, not Stuart. Nathan, Nathan is pretending to be Stuart in the taxi. I think he it cuts to him and Donna in the taxi together. Yeah, and he's he's racking up fares because like the fare is at seventeen forty, and Donna's like, I thought that was for time, <laughs> which I think is a great line, absolutely amazing line. But it's it's clever how he then spins it to make her believe that Stuart, yeah, I've got the names right, Stuart is his boyfriend because he's just like, yeah, he he told me to use his cab. But obviously with the implication of, you know, use it to get home and then, you know, never talk to me ever again or have anything to do with me. And then Nathan's just like, yeah, he told me to use it. So obviously like, I'm going to keep using it. Da, 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 da. <laughs> it's, it's like, um, it's like when you tell a computer to do something, and it sort of does it on a loop because you haven't told it to stop. I totally get that programming reference, Louis. I did tell you last time to talk about some science. So there we are. We've we sort of we've managed to fulfill the uh, you've communicated your science today. There we are. So moving on, Vince uh, drops off Alfred, the baby, at the lesbian's house. And of course, they're like, where was Stuart? You know, did Stuart just leave him with you? Did Stuart even look at his son for like one second you know, and, and it turns out that no, he didn't. When when he was when they were getting dropped off, Alfred stayed in the car, and and, and Stuart stayed in his flat. I really like that. I mean, as obviously, I don't like the fact that Stuart is a bad father. But out of any of the main characters in this, I'd quite I quite like the idea of Vince as the father figure to Ale- to to Alf. See, too many names, and also also the interaction is a really well written moment. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And then. Stuart is on the phone with his assistant, who does have a name I've forgotten. So she's got a translator on the phone that she's sort of relaying the statements to. But she is eventually able to get back to him the fact that Lee is a prostitute. And this word he's saying, Kame, it means money. He's asking for money. And so what does Stuart do? He tells Alexander that the word is Japanese for love. He's completely in love with you. Because that man, he does what he wants. He causes the chaos that he wants. He starts shit and he isn't bothered about ending it, you know. It's really interesting, given that the last episode, we started to get a real insight into Stuart's psychology. And now we just get more and more of examples of Stuart just doing what he wants. And you, you almost ask how long... How long can this carry on for? Absolutely. So Vince has come back to Stuart's flat now and the gang uh, are like, we got to watch this VHS tape and he sticks it on and it turns out that it is a royal funeral. I'm going to tell you what, when that VHS got pulled out, I thought it was Chekhov's porn. I genuinely thought they're all about to watch Chekhov's porn. I was going to like a full group activity and it turns out, no, it's the funeral of uh, Diana. Yes. And Dane, one of Alex's friends, says that... She met him once. Yes. Uh, I, this is the thing that I was I was trying to think, figure out which funeral it was because I was like, this is 1999. What's a funeral? What's a royal funeral? And I think Diana slipped me by because at that point she wasn't a royal, technically. Mm. So, but of course it was Diana. Of course it was. He makes the reference. Because uh, uh, they're gay. So yeah, it's a exactly. thing. Yeah. Which is sort of, it's another one of those moments where he, Dane talks about how he met her at a charity gig. And obviously we know that must have been an AIDS charity because of the work that Diana did. Yeah. Um, remember when she when she famously shook hands with an AIDS patient, the idea that she was helping break the stigma. It's that another example of AIDS isn't present in Queer as Folk, but its shadow looms over. And also, you know what's really interesting about that? 
that moment um, of Dane meeting Diana and he says that line about he hopes that when she died, her life flashed before his, um, her eyes and she she would have seen him in a glimpse. That That's me when I go on about the fact that I met Russell T. Davis a couple of years ago when I was 17, I'm always banging on about the afternoon that I met Russell T. Davis. And I hope, well, I, I mean, I, I really don't hope that. I mean, I hope he keeps writing for years and years, but I do hope. Yeah, that. we get what you're trying to say. We get what you're trying to say. Let's, let's maybe yeah, move on. No, uh, yeah. yeah, sorry. Sorry. I just, uh, <laughs> I just, I just want people to know. Okay. Just like okay. Dane. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No good way to, to get that fact in there. I mean, the the fact that there are quite a few references to the death this episode uh, doesn't really go anywhere, but, you know, it's still interesting that they, they like to bring up death quite a bit this episode. Back with Nathan and Donna in the taxi. Yes. So Nathan spots Romy with the baby and is like, okay, we're, we're done with the taxi now. We're getting out of the taxi. And then they sort of stalk her. For Romy is Alfred's mum. Yes, because finally... It's episode three, and I feel like we finally learnt the name of one of the, the gaggle of lesbians. But he's, like, stalking her a bit, and then Donna's like, wait, so if, if that's Stuart's son, then are you, like, the stepdad or something? And then, finally, he lets her know that, actually, Stuart dumped him, and Donna looks confused. I think we're all Donna in this moment, you know? I think, isn't it really interesting that it takes her to say that you're like a kind of a stepfather for it really for him to like snap out of it isn't it weird that he'll go to such strange extremes and then she'll say one comment like that and he's like no no he's not my boyfriend i've been stringing you along yeah but this is a good moment because then donna tells him you need to move on you need to find someone new and so uh eventually he agrees to take her to canal street so donna Meets Canal Street. This is their first interaction. Very exciting. Oh yeah, and she and he gives her that um, speech which we, which we heard previously in the next time about she's not to stare at anyone. And I just I've actually grown along with Phil, along with um, Baby Alfred. Donna is up there with my favourite characters because I mean shout out to the actor who played her because the face she's always shocked and appalled by something that Nathan's done but oh my god she delivers with the faces every single time yes I think if anyone in Kura's folk mothers and apart from Romy who literally mothers Donna is mother yes she's definitely the best mother in the only figurative sense oh yes Meanwhile, the gang have moved on to a restaurant out by... When I say the gang, I mean like Stuart and Vince and Alex and all the others whose names we can't remember. So that's the gang. And important thing to remember, at no point is Nathan in the gang. So whenever I say the gang, I'm not talking about Nathan. If Nathan's also there, I'll say the gang and Nathan. I want to make that very clear. Nathan is not in the gang. We good? Oh, I'm good. That makes sense. So they're in a restaurant. Um, They're chatting... This is a good episode for, like, hearing people chat shit. This is actually a really brilliant episode in that regard. Uh, at this point, we're wondering, okay, well, maybe Phil isn't meant to be with Alex, but maybe Dane, you know? He he starts eyeing Dane. We just get a lot of those suggestions throughout the episodes, and it's all different pairings. I quite like that. And I wonder if, because we're starting to get the theme now, because the episode's called A Night Out, and obviously we talked about how episode one, Thursday is just like your night out. But then it, it occurred to me in this episode that Thursday is not actually a night out. It's 
the aftermath of a night out. And here in episode three, we get the night out from the start. So we got like your pre's. Obviously, people didn't pre in the 90s because drinks were affordable back then. Because also because, I mean, this episode also, you think the moment that the night out starts is earlier than in episode two. Just just to like go back to what you're saying before, I imagine that the pairing of each man, I can imagine that that happens every time there's a night out. I mean, obviously, Alexander's entourage aren't there all the time, but I can imagine there's this kind of will they, will they, will they at the start of every single night. And then during the course of the night, it kind of becomes apparent what the real possibilities are. Yeah, yeah. So then Nathan and Donna arrive on Canal Street and immediately they find Stuart. Immediately they're in the same gay bar. You know, they're all focused on this very attractive guy and they're all wondering who's going to get him and if it's going to be Stuart and, you know, probably will be, let's be honest. Uh, And so Nathan's sort of circling that, the gang, and he's not in the gang, importantly. Uh, But what he is able to do is start chatting to Vince's mum, who doesn't remember him. And I love that Vince's mum doesn't remember him. After how he, you know, treated Vince's mum in episode two, I'm like, yes, you are, you are so many levels above nathan you're not going to remember him he's nothing to you because you're everything vince's mum who's called hazel by the way oh i didn't know that but you know what i do think he's a bit odd is the fact that we've seen we've already seen vince's mum in the gay bar once before now we see her a second time in the gay bar and she's making bets on who she thinks Stuart's going to get with and i know I know that you love that, Louis, and I know you think she's mothering. But at the same time, there's almost I think there's a hint that Vince wants to get with someone tonight. And then the boy that Vince's mum makes a bet on ends up walking away. But I think there's a chance Vince says to Stuart, like, why is it all, you know, you're not the only one that, you know, has copyright on on getting with people. And I was thought, oh, what if Vince got with this guy? But then literally... Vince's mum would be about to witness her own son getting off with someone in a bar. And I'm just like, I'm all here for an ally mother. But at the same time, is that not just a bit odd? I wouldn't want my mother seeing who I get with on a night out. Definitely not. Maybe that's why Vince has been so unfortunate this whole time then. Because he knows in the back of his mind his mother's always watching. Yeah. That's the best kind of contraception. Oh, God, I can't believe I said that. I'm definitely keeping it in. I'm sorry. (laughs) so then vince spots that nathan is chatting to his mum, and he's like why why is he stalking me to get to Stuart?" basically that's that's his thought this is this is this is why why is my life being so heavily impacted by the kid who wants to see Stuart again this is the start of the point where i'm like nathan you are really bordering on stalking we know this whole time that he's been saying to Donna that he knows Canal Street, but actually it's just he he's going off what he has learned from sort of seeing Stuart. He knows the one gay bar that they go to and then the one gay club they go to, which is, is later on as Babylon. That's what he knows, you know. And But now he's, t- he's gone from that to full-on bordering on stalking bordering on equal to mr muscle's behavior in episode one well maybe it was a different time maybe 1999 it was just a bit more normal to to be like this well because obviously you couldn't stalk someone on on social media so you had to do it in real life exactly there was still a bit of thrill now it's just now it just feels like being a a programmer but for intrusions of privacy (laughs) so vince 
um, when Vince actually slags off Nathan when he spots him, you know, talking to his mum, Stuart steps in and says, you know, actually he's all right. And it's like, oh my god, what is what is this? Stuart is 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 hiding some feelings, baby. Because what what do you think that is that what because I was I think to myself is Stuart just doing what he we saw him do at the beginning of the episode? Is he just fucking about? just sort of saying what he wants just to make things complicated or is there a sincerity there i think there's a sincerity because i think when he's messing about he's always there's like a tone of like fake sincerity and in this moment i feel more real sincerity Mm. like when he says he loves you you know it's very it's very theatrical but this one he's like yeah he's all right Mm. okay okay well i'll hold on to that thought and we'll see where it goes we see where Vince goes after that, don't we? He goes to bar to get himself a drink. And he meets, who does he meet? Rosalie, the girl who oh. likes him. And she's in the gay club. And she's like, you know, her friend's getting married soon. They said, you know, I should check out this place. It's wild, isn't it? Vince is like, yeah, it's wild. She's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm also here on research purposes. It's such an awkward conversation at this point. And I'm, what would you... What would you do if you are a closeted Vince and the girl that fancies you find, I don't know what I'd say. So I just felt so sort of made my flesh crawl this moment. I mean, I would just, for that, I would, I just think the, the, the jig would be up. I'd just be like, I'd just be like, I'm sorry you had to find out this way. Can I buy you a drink as an apology? And then, and then she's not allowed to feel bad because you bought her a drink as an apology. Exactly, and she's clearly she's clearly not a homophobe, or at least not an outright homophobe, because obviously otherwise she wouldn't be in a gay club. She's not being there like we're surrounded by people going to hell. She obviously thinks it's fun. The only thing he's going to let down is her feelings, but you know people get over that. So we can't like be terrified of her turning on him like that. Yeah. But of course, he pretends to be straight, and somehow he gets away with it. Wow! It's all helped by uh, the casting, yeah. Mister Stewart, who oh yes, of course, who does then basically go up to her and say how much Stewart fancies her. Yes, once again, every time he sees a small flame, he's like, "I'm pouring some gasoline on that. I'm adding some firewood. I'm doing a, a, a circle of stones around it to turn it into like a proper fireplace that isn't gonna." have moisture seep in. He's a pyromaniac. But what's interesting there is obviously he, he is also setting a, f- a fire, but he's also, he's just saved Vince's sort of week. Yeah, I'm also here at a gay bar for the first time doing research purposes. Ha, huh, I need to go over here now. And then if any thought in her mind went, hmm, was Vince was Vince telling the truth there? Stuart, by fucking about, does actually go and save the day there a little bit. You could see it from that perspective. He's saving his best mate. Maybe. Maybe. And I love when Nathan... Sorry, not Nathan. Bloody hell, all these names. When Vince... Oh, now I'm getting Nathan and Vince mixed up. And that wasn't a mixture combination that we suggested earlier. And when Vince says to Stuart, this place is getting so straight, this is another bit of discourse about should... Because um, I've had friends. I once... This, was, this is crazy. When I was at uni and there was a queer night, queer club night, I, st- I wasn't going... But a straight friend of mine like sent me a text. She wanted to go. And she had this whole moral quandary about whether, as a straight woman, she should be allowed to take up the space at a queer club night. And I was like, girl, if you're going with your gay friends to be an ally, go. I mean, that was my take on it. But it is interesting that this sort of this, I mean, it's such a 
21st century kind of word but this discourse as you will has been going since the 90s no it was fun to see that i was like okay yeah this has been around a while don't 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 take away our safe spaces so after this the gang head off to babylon and nathan is still there and because vince's mum and the lodger are still there a lodger named bernard he gives nathan his bat his babylon membership and is like you know what you can you can take this I'm sick of that place. And so now Nathan can get into Babylon, sort of. I think he probably could have gotten anyway because uh, the guy checking his membership is like, this is clearly not you. You're clearly not this old uh, eight quid. So so clearly you could he could have just gotten anyway. And also Donna gets in. And, and no, no one gave her a membership unless, of course, Bernard's membership gave them both entry. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it gives you a plus one, you know. This is, I have to, I have a very important thing that I need to say at this moment. In our previous episode, um, when we meet Bernard and Vince's mum at um, Vince's mum's house for the very first time, I asked if we thought there was any sexual tension between Bernard and Vince's mum. And at this point, when we learn that Bernard has a Babylon membership, I just have to say that I'm a fool, that I'm stupid for ever thinking that Bernard and Vince's mum had any sexual tension at all. She's clearly just the biggest ally to have ever allied. That she's like, she she can't get enough of the fact that she's got a gay son. She goes to gay bars and she has a gay lodger who she goes to gay bars with. So I just wanted to, I just wanted to make that public apology for my comments last time. Okay, thank you for that apology, Zach. So yeah, so Nathan gets into Babylon and he stares at Stuart and we cut to break. We had talked about Babylon at the beginning of our previous episode, because at the beginning of episode one, the first sentence of the show talks about Babylon. And it occurred to me that we haven't seen, we haven't been into Babylon yet. This shot just before the break is crazy. There's no dialogue. There's just these really, really long, almost uncomfortable shots of Nathan watching Stuart. Like uncomfortably so. Yeah. And this is just feeding my flames of Nathan, you're a weirdo. You are an absolute... I mean, the the entry into Babylon, it is an amazing scene. It is an amazing bit. Uh, the music that's playing is like French house music. And that just makes me think that they sort of perfected club music. This scene is is just everything. I think everything about it is, is incredible. And then we cut to a break. So back from a break and Stuart and Vince are taking drugs in the bathroom. They're snorting something and Vince is ranting about... Uh, how his speed dealer, who's called Mickey Blake, I had to write that bit down, also found him like lost Doctor Who episodes and lost epi- like episodes of Doctor Who that are black and white in color. So this is interesting. So for a while, the third Doctor, some of the early third Doctor serials, they did have them in black and white, but not color because of the archiving. But now every third Doctor serial is available in colour. But wasn't didn't he mention the power of the Daleks in colour? Yeah, I think that's the third Doctor serial. That's the second Doctor story. Okay. Oh, no. That's, that's the second that's... Doctor black and white episode. So I'm but all, all and he also talks about the fourth episode of the tenth planet, which is still missing to this day. Yeah. Almost twenty five years later. Yeah. So clearly Mickey Blake I mean, either Vince is absolutely off his face and he's talking utter nonsense, or Mickey Blake is um, close to a magician or a time lord. We need to track that guy down and check how many arts he has. <laughs> I don't, well, it's hilarious to see um, Vince and, and, and Stuart 
um, having a heart-to-heart moment in such a weird context and also then talking it's like where else are you going to talk about doctor who you know and so credit to stuart for as you know i'm obviously like you a massive doctor who fan but i sort of i have a lot of respect for my friends who are not doctor who fans to i I wouldn't get drunk and talk about doctor who you know i have respect for for my friends like that so good on stuart for sort of letting vince talk about his nerdy stuff on a night out that's that's a best friend if I ever saw one. Yeah, absolutely. So Donna convinces Nathan to forget Stuart and find a guy who wants to buy him a drink because there's this board where everyone has like a number on them, like a name tag, but with a number. And you know what the name tag's called? Shag tag. The shag tag. Yes. And so a guy has basically written Nathan's number. I want to buy you a drink. My number. And Donna convinces him to forget Stuart, find this guy, and he does, and he's a bit ugly, a bit fat. So Nathan, being having already been established to be a bit of a piece of shit, runs back to Donna and then points her out to him and they both laugh. And that's the end of that. I've lost all respect for Nathan. This, but it's the way that he's walking and then he just turns around without even stopping the flow of his walk. I'm just like, no, I hate you now. He lets the guy spot him and get excited about get it. get excited yeah meanwhile alex finds lee with another man making out of another man and hilarious moment so Stuart's assistant in bed having sex the first straight sex of the season you were about you were literally you just stole my joke i just i was about to say that this is an absolute scandalous outrageous thing that we we have a, a sex scene in this show a, a straight sex scene in this show and you stole my joke well no clearly you were you had a better joke there i was just going to say first of season you actually had a bit of faux outrage which you know i didn't think to do it's disgusting i can't believe they put this disgusting stuff in on one of our shows you know making us watch men and women have sex Ugh. so when alex asks her because she picks up the phone mid-sex as if as, as if she's like Stuart or something uh and alex asks her what's the japanese for slut <laughs> And he says it so dramatically. It is, he is every camp gay that I've ever met. I can see a lot of my camp friends yeah. saying it exactly the way that he says it. And then we get a scene of the gang is looking out over the dance floor on this little balcony bit. It's a great scene. They're all looking at different guys. Um, but because there's so many characters with so many names, I can't remember any of specifics. All I know is that it ends with Stuart picking up two guys which is a it's a crazy moment because we have our the gang admiring this one particular guy and it's like alexander after lee has copped off with another guy he's like right i'm just gonna shag someone i'm gonna and he spots this guy and then he spots another guy and he's right right i've got two chances and then it's like out of spite Stuart is like i'm just gonna get with both of them and it's just an incredible moment of he doesn't do it because he doesn't do it because he wants to. I don't think he does it because he can. He says something. He whispers something in each of their ears, and Vincent Filler looking like if we knew what he said, yeah, you know, we'd have like the cheat code. What is Stuart's special source? What is his secret? He can he can do um, control commands. Is that the right? You know, when you're in a, a video game. Yeah, I think cheat code is in a video game. It's cheat code. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, we get this lovely we also we get a wonderful Phil moment because I love Phil and I don't want anything bad to happen to him ever yeah. 
Of course. Where Vince has realised, like us, that Nathan is, is weird and creepy and following them around. Like, why is he in Babylon? And then Phil is like, it's Babylon. You know, he's allowed to go to Babylon because people go to Babylon. It's just like... Wow, someone going to Babylon? Crazy. It's like, <laughs> Phil, you're such a sweetie. Like, you give, you're giving weirdo creep nathan whom i have no love for left you're you you still are giving him a chance yeah that's why you're amazing very adorable um but ultimately quite rightly nathan doesn't doesn't find anyone in the end and him and donna leave babylon to get chips which i think is a very cute moment uh mainly because donna's there and we see the friendship between them you know it's cute in spite of nathan yeah she donna does a lot of work in this show yes making us love the scenes that she's in. And the gang leave a club and they're all kind of going their different ways to cop off because they couldn't find anyone in, in the club. So now it's like we've got to find someone outside the club. Which is where we're sort of at the same point in the night that episode one opens. Yeah. We then get scenes where we sort of see all their different hookups go, all going in different ways. I think to describe it more simply, we're going to sort of go through each character one at a time. Okay. So... Let's start with Alex and Dane. Okay. This was... <laughs> this is hilarious. So they go to a dodgy building to have a threesome with a guy who's turns out he's like an undertaker. He's burying a body at 10. He's burying two bodies. He's burying, what do you say, like a bride and a groom at 10. And th- this sort of portion of the episode really like made me feel uncomfortable because even like the set design... His, I didn't know how to describe it. His flat, because he like he lives above a like a weird motel or something. Is does it? It feels like a dentist's office. I don't know if you got that. Yeah, yeah. It. I. Well, maybe not a dentist's office, but it definitely felt like. A, I thought it might be like an old office or something. Or I mean, I know it's like a house, but I mean, I did work at a place which was an office in a renovated house. So it then got renovated back into a flat, but not very well. I don't know. But also it's dingy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And so they kind of, Alex and Dane, look at each other and like, this guy is Fred West, right? Like, we need to get out of here. But they're on the second floor. All the windows are are shut. He's got a snake in the corner, which already, if I I saw that in someone's flat, if someone's house, I'm like, no, people that keep snakes are not ready for me. I'm not a snake fan. No. And also, I really wonder why they saw this guy and thought, yeah, let's have a three. They must have been desperate. A, because of the conversation we hear them as they're walking up the stairs. No, yes, that's, that's... That's not subtext, that's just text. But he has this, like, real snarl on his face. He's not smiling. He's, like, he's growling at them as he's talking to them. And there's that great moment where he um, is telling them a story about an eye that wouldn't close on a body. And so he had to get a special contact. Like, oh, it was was not nice. But as he's telling the story, he knocks over a cup of coffee or something he just doesn't even like acknowledge the fact that he knocked it over and it makes you realize yeah, and he just how... leaves it knocked over it's that one of those clever moments that i think ross t davis is amazing at is understanding what makes people tick and how every normal human being in that scenario would go oh no let me just tidy that up and there's something really off kilter about someone not recognizing that. Yeah, it's it's like it's not something that's meant to be explained, but it's just like it's creepy. Yeah, this is a guy who doesn't pick up a knocked over coffee. Do you know what that means? Neither do I. And then just the sort of 
when he is finished telling his story, the fact we've got another iconic line, right, I'll wash my knob. <laughs> yes. And at that point, they're trying to find a way to escape. Uh, eventually, Dane is able to ask to go to the bathroom. And he climbs out the window. He climbs, and we see him on the other side of the window because he sort of climbed across the, the house looking for, you know, a route down. Uh, and in this time, it turns out that maybe their their fears weren't so justified because the Undertaker actually just has a massive knob. And Alex is like, you know what? I'm happy with this. Let's go. And I think, I think, I get the impression Alexander has seen has seen a few in his time and probably knows what a good one looks like. And he's like, oh well, he, he, yeah, very symmetrical. Absolutely. There's a slapstick moment, a bit of Buster Keaton, where Dane like falls off. He's hanging on, and then he falls off, and there's a a, a crash sound, <laughs> and. Alex and The Undertaker don't even register it. No, you know? no, well, no. Alex register it. The Undertaker doesn't for some reason. Well, then I think we need to talk about Vince. Uh, so his hookup is named Jonathan. Say hi to Jonathan, everyone. Hello, Jonathan. And he works in telly. He works in TV. He talks about all the TV stuff he's doing. Very exciting. Especially for Vince, who's we've already... We've been reminded in this episode that he loves his telly. And I also love... I love this idea because he's only in Manchester temporarily because he's doing some work at the BBC. Um, but it reminds us very much, this is an episode where we really, we feel we're in Manchester and we're reminded that even um, before Media City UK, Manchester already had like a strong television presence. Yeah, it's nice. You know, it feels like it's finally going well for Vince. He, deser- he, de- he deserves the very best. He does. He does. Vince deserves the very best. And is Jonathan... Jonathan may work in TV, but it turns out he might not be quite the very best. Because as they're making out, as they're undressing, Vince is trying to take off his trousers. He keeps pulling them back up. And he's like, what's going on here? And then we get the most incredible story about what happens if you sit on the beach in Brazil without a towel. You get Brazilian beach parasites living in your ass, apparently. Yes. If the scene at the dingy apartment with the weird Undertaker wasn't already making my stomach feel uncomfortable, we then get that juxtaposed with this. And already I'm like, oh, I'm not feeling too well now. I ask myself, no, in fact, I'm asking Jonathan now, Jonathan, what are you doing going home with a man knowing that you've got Brazilian beach parasites up your ass? Like, what? Look, he is just lonely. He's not in town for long, okay? He says he needs to use a cream. It takes a few weeks or months or however long he says, you know. He's just a bit lonely. Can you blame him? But what was... I don't know. What was he... What was he expecting? I don't don't know. I don't... You know what? Yeah, maybe I should feel sorry for him. But I also feel sorry for Vince as well. Oh, yeah. Well, I feel Um, more sorry for Vince, certainly. And and, and, because Vince then goes on to do... What we what we probably learned that he does every time he has a failed night is he just goes and watch Doctor Who instead. Yes, because I think once Jonathan has left, we do hear Doctor Who in the background while Vince is phoning Stuart. And every time, because he, he phones Stuart a couple times throughout this, once when he says, oh my God, this is amazing, I've copped off, he works in telly, this is amazing. And then once when he says, oh my God, this sucks, Brazilian ass parasites. Yes, he does. These all go to answer machine because Stuart has two guys. He's got enough on his plate. And I think the Stuart one is great because there's there's never any dialogue, but it's still something that we can sort of describe in quite a bit of detail because the visual storytelling, let's say, <laughs> is pretty good with Stuart's um, hookup because... 
first they're having sex as three people it's very sweaty it's very very sweaty very sweaty very yeah sweaty. this is when we hear vince's first call on the answer machine but when we get to the second call on the answer machine they're all like sand beds cuddled up and they're watching themselves back on a VHS tape, which they just recorded. It's great. Because, like, I think you see that, you wonder, is that porn? Like, no, that's them. That's actually, the, that's the same room. They're watching themselves. It's them. It's them. That's king shit. Now, I I was asking, I was thinking to myself, we hear the voice of Vince leaving the, vo- the message, but I wonder, does that voice actually play as the message is being recorded? Do the others hear that? And they're just choosing to ignore it because they've got better things to do. Yeah, I think I think that is how answer machines worked. Yeah, I know. I do not. Um, <laughs> no, 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 but I mean, um, it's part of the ambiance, you know. Because clearly, he does this a lot with 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 Stuart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because then that would also surely that would be picked up in the recording, so they'd have this great sex tape with Vince narrating his own night as part of it. Yeah, so that's Stuart and Vince, of course. And finally, one final hookup, uh, Phil's. And this is this is maybe the most sort of low-key, I'd say. This is the least dramatic, you know. Yeah. There's no arse parasites. There's no motels. It's nice because it has a bit of a... It's got a bit of a meet-cute beginning. Yeah. Phil is trying to get a taxi. Another guy trying to get the same taxi. They're like, you know what, let's just go back to Phil's. And this is where I've got my fun fact for you, Louis. That I always mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Ooh, yes, because um, the other man whose name I do not know. Do we? Do we know who the other man's name is? No, we never find out. We never find out. That's a shame because it's such a beautiful meet cute. And the other guy asks Phil, "Where are you going?" And Phil says, "Withington." And the other guy's like, "Well, I'm, I'm going there as well. You know, if you want." You know how I said I went out the other night with some mates on the town? Yeah. But didn't actually go into town? Do you know where I went? Withington. I went to Withington. I have been and had a wonderful night out in Withington this week. And that's my fun fact for you. Wow. How how close is Withington to, like, the centre, is it? Um, It's sort of the edge of the suburbs entering into the inner city of manchester okay it's like it's like the shoreditch or the dalston of um if i if if i knew london then i'd be able to answer that question well actually is it north south east or west it's south the center it's south south okay well then it's it's more like the sort of bermondsey of of manchester which sounds very nice sounds lovely actually i do love bermondsey it's also i should have mentioned as well we also find out that vince lives in fallowfield um, Fallowfield is just next to Withington, and both Withington and Fallowfield now, at least, they're very studenty areas. Also, I went to school in Fallowfield. Wow! So I went to school school just from round the corner, um, as to where Vince lives, or Vince lived, or would live if he were real. Would live. Let's go with that. Anyway, let's get back to Phil because I want to know where this meet cute is going because I love Phil. So they get back to the apartment. They chat a bit. Uh, his nameless date. Brings out a little baggie of drugs and is like, do you want some? And I can obviously imagine at this moment, this is entire, I'm making this up now, that Phil is jealous of uh, of Stuart and Vince earlier who um, who did some in the bathroom. And he's probably thinking, you know what? You know, I, I, I should have a nice time as well tonight. I've been trying to get with, yeah. I've been trying to be set up with someone all this time. Let's just go with the flow. Or maybe just drugs are just like normal enough, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this thing is when they get in a taxi, they literally is playing the happy, the theme music of the show. Mm. The Murray Gold theme music is playing. So it's a, a lovely time. And so then 
his date lays out two lines and says, you know, you can have the first one since you paid for a taxi. I was going to say Phil pays for taxi because what we should mention is Phil lives in a lovely house. I mean, we've seen that Stuart lives in a, a lovely, like, open plan apartment. And then Vince has this sort of much smaller flat within a house. Um, and you can kind of tell that whereas Stuart and Phil have, like, quite more, like, very impressive jobs. Yeah, yeah. And so he does a line and his date is like, realistically, you've got to do two. Uh, but before he can even think about whether he wants to do a second line, it hits him a bit too hard, starts coughing. So he gets up. He's staggering about. Uh, he falls over. And then the guy's like, this is everyone's first this is experience. Because I think it's, it's, it turns out to be heroin. We learn at the funeral. Oh, wait, I just spoiled it. Oh. So anyway, Phil dies. He's spasming. Uh, the guy is like freaking out. What the hell? Stop this. Ah, just, I'm, I'm pretty sure if you called 999 at this point, he could, he could be okay. Yeah. But, uh, that's not what happens. The guy just takes him his money and, and runs out. And because he also lives in Fallowfield, you know, he, he's probably not too far from his home. <laughs> so he can run home without a trace. It is odd that before the, the guy obviously is so panicked, but he stops, as you say, to clear out Phil's wallet. It baffles me. This man, this man is this nameless man is bizarre behavior. But it's like he's just a nameless man. We don't know his story. We'll never know his story. Yeah. Because this is the thing: is he meets Phil at the taxi, which means that no other character no. except for Phil sees him. For all we know, he could be an angel of death. Yeah. Oh God. I did also ask myself, no, because of the reaction. I was going to say maybe it's an in- intentional. He like he's he's a murderer. But he's not. No, if he was a murderer, his his facial expression would change once, you know, Phil is convulsing. I I know how acting and reacting works. Good, good. But it's an interesting, it's an interesting, I should say, on that note, the, the idea, the, this is blue sky thinking for you. It's an interesting juxtaposition to Alexander's hookup, who they must think, oh, he must be a murderer. And then you think, oh my God, they're going to die. And you're sort of you're shocked to learn that they're not the ones that die tonight. No, because if you'd if if you'd watch this episode going, watch one of them will die at the end. I bet you'd probably guess. Yeah, you'd think it was Dane when he falls off yes. the roof or not the roof falls from the second floor. Because after we see Phil um, dying, we cut to the following morning where they all meet up over breakfast. Yes, they're having brunch. They're chatting. Dane is in a sling. That's how he fell. He fell on his arm. His rest of his body's fine. Uh, they're laughing about it. I mean, also because Alex will have, once he was done pleasuring, pleasuring the Undertaker, he'll walk out the door and be like, okay, let's get you to it. Yeah, like it's sort of, <laughs> they did have a bit of a body system there. But Phil was on his own. And we cut from them having brunch and laughing to Phil in his apartment. And then we get another cut. And now they're in a the club. Vince gets a phone call and we think, okay, finally, he's going to find out. And then his mum is like, it's been a few days. And you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, shit. They they didn't check up on their blokes. What? There's Vince, basically, he when he answers the phone, he immediately like is like, Phil, where the fuck have you been? And then it turns out to be Phil's mum. It's a real tonal shift um, at this point in the show. We've sort of gotten into a a formula for this program, which is basically night out and then after the night out with the baby stuff. And then it's like day and then night out. And then it's day and then night out. You know, the next episode 
is not going to be day followed by night out. No, there's some really those those cuts at the end. We've had we we've talked about before the cutting between scenes in this episode is re- in in this show is really quite powerful. But those cuts at the end are something else. They, you know that them having br- brunch and there's steps playing in the background. And I love steps. Anytime there's steps in a show, I'm like, yeah, blast that louder to then silence. It's like wow. The Phil fan club is um is weeping right now. And that's episode three. Do you think? Do you think we ever did it with the whole "Oh boy, I love Phil" jokes? Do you think that was? I don't know what you're. Do you think that's a bit in poor taste? I now? don't know what you're referring to. I made not a single joke. I was. All oh, right. Yes, I forgot. You're you're the one who hasn't actually seen the show before. So. <laughs> Here's the funny thing, dear listener. Louis has hinted the fact that I've not seen the show before. Not entirely true. I've seen half of the show before. So I've seen up to halfway through episode four. So all the commentary you've had from me so far has been me revisiting the first three episodes. But once we get halfway through episode four, this is me watching Curious Folk for the first time, which is a bit of a shock as a Rusty Davis fan. You would have thought I would have seen this all the way through, but I haven't. So from now on in, you're getting my first time reaction instead of me having... Um, had years of this show in the back of my head mulling over and then coming to rewatch it for the podcast but i did know i did know phil was going to die well speaking of speaking of that let's get right into episode four after the break we're calling it a break it's a few seconds of music and we're back with episode four d-i-s-c-o which spells disco yes i just just wanted to check this this episode starts. We're not in Manchester anymore. We're in the countryside. Vince and Stuart are looking for the funeral venue. They're in the car. It's like open top. I want to say it's. I don't know what vehicle it is because it's like. Okay, I've googled it. It's a Jeep convertible Wrangler or a Wrangler convertible. Wow, they're blasting "Common People" by Pulp. Woo! Absolutely iconic. Eventually, they rock up at the funeral. And uh, Vince is going to give a speech because it turns out that Phil planned out his funeral. And we don't find out originally why at the age of 35 you'd plan out your funeral, but we do in a moment. Yeah, we do in a moment. Uh, Phil is the third man that Stuart shagged who has died. Stuart, like, lifts off the other two. Mm -hmm. He says it's not a bad ratio. And I think that's the first comment in this episode um that is the shadow of aids in this episode yes um when he says that it's not a, a, like a that is not a particularly yeah. bad ratio but, because you yeah. when you know, when you do watch other shows that are far more focused about the aids pandemic you know that that idea of reeling off names of people that you've slept with who are now dead is like a really powerful image so again it's we're having those hints in the background, but they're never expanded upon further. Yeah, we will get another another one of those soon. Yes, we do. Um, but as the coffin is being brought in, we learn how Stuart and Phil ended up shagging, and it was like some story with like a party, you know, a lot of other people there. And it's so weird hearing this be discussed while the funeral is just not a funeral. The coffin is just awkwardly there, slowly moving. Do you think about the funeral we saw last episode? <laughs> there's, there's a majesty in the funeral we saw before. And now you're right. That coffin is such an awkward presence. Even when Phil has to walk up to the front to give his little reading, he has to like shuffle and squeeze. Because they seem to have left the coffin in the aisle. I've not been to a great number of funerals in my time, fortunately. But did they just leave leave the coffin in everyone's way? I- 
maybe. <laughs> or I'm thinking the one funeral I ever went to, the coffin was sort of already in place when we came in. I've I've been to a crematorium that like that. Obviously, it's played for laughs, and the fact that um, Stuart and Vince they talk about yeah um, Stuart's sex life the entire time yeah. that Phil's body is being carried in in the coffin is absurd. So Phil goes up to the uh, altar. You mean Vince does that? Phil's, Phil's in the coffin. Phil's in the coffin. <laughs> Phil is up there also, but now Vince is also up there. Uh, he's about to give the speech that Phil wrote. Before that, he mentions why Phil is, is planning out this uh, this funeral so early in life. And it turns out that uh, like a year ago, he saw a bruise on his leg and was like, Right, I need to plan out everything now. This is it. This is the end. Turns out he banged his 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 his, his leg on a stepladder. But when he saw a bruise, his mind went right, right there. Another shadow of AIDS. Mm-hmm. The speech is it's like it's the lyrics to a song, right? Like that song which goes like D I S C O. But yeah. the thing is, because I've yes. never actually listened to the lyrics of that song, I've just sort of heard the song. I'm just figuring out is that actually what the lyrics are? Must be because they call it a. Um a reading not a speech yes sort of a gay man's version of like a biblical reading yeah yeah you'll be oh my god you'll be you'll be pleased to know louis it's a it's by a french band ottawa okay this guy is that spelt like someone from ottawa what a double t a w a n okay well no that's atawan or wow i mean i should mention i only really care about french house music and it's it's disco oh, so okay. I'm, I'm not as bothered it's disco. uh it's french disco. house and also whatever serge gansborg was doing oh and of course um the surfer rock although obviously sapland poem wise is a, is a belgian song so but of course you can listen to all of this in one of louis other podcasts french house music 101 Yes, this is turning into a, a episodely, is that a word? A bit that I'm going to do every episode where we're going to find another podcast that Louis should be doing instead of this. Of course, if you subscribe to our bonus feed, then you get access to the Zach Zone, <laughs> where Zach sees if he can do a better job at uh, talking about his interests. What? I don't, I, I am talking about my interests. <laughs> Russell T. Davis, that's my only interest. Oh, okay. That's slightly concerning, but we'll move on. <laughs> Um, so after the funeral, we're at the wake. Yes. And suddenly this whole episode is just us like meeting people and talking to people. And it's it's quite a bit of a slower episode, but there are all these incredible interactions that we see th- between all these different people. And so, for example, we are introduced to this Australian guy named Cameron Roberts, who he confuses Vince with Stuart because apparently everyone was saying everyone was saying Stuart's more attractive one so naturally he sees vince and like oh you must be Stuart." Mm, you said he confuses and that, is a, that is a quite a beautiful little in, moment in, I'm, I'm doing massive air quotations um which obviously this is a podcast you can't oh you see. think he's just really slick you think he's just really slick my notes are um flirts with vince he oh my gosh we've not seen anyone flirt with vince as much as this man does right here he's definitely he knows what he's doing He's got game. He's got game. He's got riz. Now we're meeting. We're meeting new people, but aren't we? Um, aren't we forgetting about what's what's going on with our third protagonist? Where is Where is Nathan right now? Yeah. So I mean, I think because like Nathan's plot hasn't really taken off yet. So I am going to wait a little bit before we get into it. Okay. I obviously, as a as a as Nathan's number one hater, I want to get. I've I've not hated yes. on him for a while, so I'm just going to okay. I'm gonna leave okay. It. Well, oh, I'll wait. I'll hold wait. yourself. I'll, I'll wait. let. Let it bottle up and I'll let it explode <laughs> out of you quite violently. 
in a sec. After meeting Cameron, we meet Phil's mum. She talks about how ridiculously like sad this is for her and how she can't really believe it's happening. You know, when he said he was gay, then, you know, okay, fine. That means that, you know, we stopped planning his wedding. We stopped planning mm. his, his him having kids, all of these things we stopped planning. But then she's saying that what I could never imagine was having to plan his funeral. Mm. And this is really sad. And so Stuart earlier was trying to convince his assistant that he's actually at a funeral. Mm-hmm. And he, he's holding the phone out and saying, like, listen, there's organ music. And then naturally it switches to, like, disco music because this is a gay <laughs> funeral. So not very convinced that he's actually at a funeral. But now when he's talking to assistant, he's basically repeating what Phil's mum was saying. And it turns out that his assistant is writing this up as copy for a life insurance advert. And only then does she realise, wait, are you actually at a funeral? And he's like, yes. And then she's like really mad at him. But because she couldn't figure it out herself. It's it's a hilarious interaction. You know, I think this is our second mother who doesn't have kids. Mm. She doesn't have kids, but she is still mothering. In a way, Stuart is kind of... She kind of mothers Stuart in a way that he kind of becomes her kid at times. Yeah. She tries to give him advice in episode two. He ignores it. It's funny because she's his assistant. Yeah. So like she's sort of, you know, second in command to him basically. But really it's more like she's his handler. One of his handlers because he has multiple, Vince being another. Yes. What's particularly funny is what Phil's mum says that Stuart then turns on its head. It was one of the most profound things that I'd heard so far in the show because it ma- it makes you remember that obviously their, you know, gay marriage wasn't legal until 2014 in the UK. So back in 1999, the idea of um, people of the same sex getting married was, you know, completely alien. And it's this idea that as a parent to a, to a queer child you throw most of your expectations out the window. And I feel like now there's a lot less of that because gay people can now get married and gay people can have um, children far more easily. So this was kind of, it was one of the things that shocked me the most and really like punched me in the face about queer parents of queer people. Yes, absolutely. Nowadays, gay people have been more folded into the hegemony. I'm making a new word there. It's hegemony, but het, it's het gemini. There's a whole other podcast that we could make about whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. So I'm just going to say I noticed it and was was quite flawed by it. It is interesting how we see so many things where we're like, actually, this is pretty similar to now. And then something comes along and we're like, okay, yeah, it was a different time. Mm. She asks if he was hooking up with a woman, would that woman have like run away if he was if he had a a bad reaction to drugs. She takes it one step further. Yes. Would he be hooking up like this as a 35-year-old if he was heterosexual? Mm. And she doesn't want to ask it because she's got to be okay with him being gay, but she can't help but wonder. And that that is quite a tragic moment. Yeah, and we find out that he was there for four days in the floor of his kitchen before he was found. It's Vince who says to her, you know, him being gay has nothing to do with it. But then when she asks her second question about, you know, would it, he would have even done this in the first place if he was straight, Vince doesn't have an answer. He, uh, he kind of does, doesn't know how to reply. Yeah. And it's, it's, quite, it's quite hard to turn around and say, yeah, well, 
straight people are completely different but it doesn't make what we do wrong yeah no it's quite a nuanced point yeah no absolutely it is it is a really a great moment but zach i have some good news now okay because finally we can talk about everyone's love to hate character (laughs) nathan What's he been up to this whole time? He's back at school where he belongs because he's a minor and he should stop going out because he's 15 years old and he should get back in school, stay in school and don't do drugs. Um, is the message of this episode. But of course, the thing about schools, in our modern age of co-educational... Actually, this would work also if he was at a boys' school because then it would just be boys. He sees a boy. He does. He sees a boy and he draws his bum. It's back that bum obsession. But Donna wouldn't be there, but, so it's good that... My favourite part of this scene is Donna's reaction to the drawing of the bum. <laughs> so thank God he goes to a, go- a co-ed school. Yes. This is another example of um, Russell T. Davis. We see you. We see you. We see you in those we bums. We see you. We know what you are. <laughs> Call us homophobic dogs because we know what you are. (laughs) So Nathan, after class, Nathan finds this guy mopping up somewhere and is like, hey, I've got a free period. The changing rooms. I can help you out. I I was asking sort of, is this boy, is he in detention? Why is he mopping the changing rooms? It's a bit of a, it's an odd scenario. Maybe Nathan just likes a bad boy. Clearly. Hence hence why he's, he's been going after Stuart for so long. I mean, I think it is some kind of punishment and Mm. i think later we'll sort of see why maybe it is you know okay okay i was gonna say we have another example of um the show's interesting use of cutting because he ends up just chatting and we see various conversations and we see some fade cuts it's interesting that we we're not cutting back between there and the funeral they do it all in one go but have these fades to show a passage of time it's quite interesting but you know i don't i don't like this boy and you know why i don't like this boy louis why he calls donna a twat he does which really he says why do you hang out with her you're not having sex are you he's like no 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 i'm not having sex the answer should be i'm hanging out with her because she's mother because she's everything to me yes nathan doesn't know how to defend the best person in this show also like i don't think nathan fully appreciates donna at this point no anyway. no he doesn't no 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 anyway eventually they chat about sex this thing that the the discussion gets more and more intimate it's more and more personal you know at first it's who are your friends and then it's who are you trying to get with and he talks about how he was getting with this girl and then she had to like run off for some reason and he never finished and he he gets like transported back to this moment the the guy he's horny on main and and nathan is here for it and nathan's planted the seeds because he's already they were talking about it and he's already like it really doesn't matter where you're getting it it's just all that matters is that you are getting it so he's planted the seeds and then when this guy is horny on main and he starts to physicalize and starts grabbing his crotch yeah and then before you know it nathan's grabbing his crotch and by his i don't mean nathan's we we need more pronouns just so it's easier to talk about gay people that's why we need neo pronouns yeah oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah nathan finishes the guy off he gives him a hand job in the changing rooms i want to say that's the kind of thing that i want to say haven't we all but then i i never have so when are you in a changing room by yourself like, the point of a changing room is it's big enough to accommodate everyone changing at the same time. But then I'm still wondering why the guy was mopping the changing room. I don't know. Well, you know what this is? This is reminding me a similar sexual encounter in the first series of sex education in the middle of a detention in a scenario where you don't expect two people to be alone together. Yes, of course. So it feels like this is... It almost becomes a trope. But my favourite part of this scene 
is the end. The guy whose name we don't know, he runs away like he's just taken part in something shameful. And we're back to the usual. Nathan swaggers out of that scenario and I just want to punch him in the face. Yeah, he immediately tells Donna what he's done and she's like, no. And like, we see it behind um, some like translucent glass because like we don't even need to like hear what exactly they're saying. Like we know what they're talking about because we know... Nathan and we know Donna and we know what they're talking about and immediately after this moment they're walking over and they see this kid in his like gang of bullies you know actually beating the crap out of uh, some other kid and calling him a queer and the guy does look back at Nathan as a you know as a this never happened kind of look yeah that's as far as this is ever going that's this was a brief success for Nathan but ultimately it was a failure but I feel like Nathan at this point he just he just wants to be getting it as Donna, Donna then says to him, she's like, you're, she's, and this is the strangest image. She says, um, you're like Mozart, but obviously Mozart forgetting it. You're getting it before everyone else is. Yeah, I mean, I think Nathan says that about himself, though, doesn't he? No, Don, Donna's the one that calls him. Oh, okay. Okay. Donna says you're like Mozart. Donna knows her prodigies. He does. I wonder what Wolfgang himself would have thought if he found out that this this was a, a thing that got said a couple hundred years later. Is he one of the ones who was, like, probably gay, or, or was that a different one? He was a musical prodigy, he was probably gay. And I don't even have to be a historian to, to think that. <laughs> Another reason is that I don't really think Nathan is at all um, looking for anything serious with anything his anyone his age, because we, okay, cut, that's fair. we yeah. cut to him at home. And what's he doing at home? He's doodling pictures of Stuart. Stuart Allen Jones. Like everyone always on his mind. Does um with their crush, they write their crush's name, they draw pictures of their crush. But not everyone's crush is a thirty year old man when they're fifteen. Or if it is a thirty year old man, it's probably a celebrity and not someone they actually know. Yes. So Nathan's mum comes in and is like, I need to go to Costco. Do you want to come to Costco with me? And he's like, nah. And then she's like, I'll let you drive a car. Oh my God, she's going to go. And he's like, okay. It didn't even, she's, of course she's going when she says cash and carry. Of course. That's why he's so rude to her. Was it cash and carry or Costco? I... She says cash and carry. But then uh, now I'm like, that's why he was so rude to her. I thought in my head they were just going to go to the corner shop. But, and I'd be like, why are you being... He was, he's, he's, he's like really rude. He's like, I'd rather die. And it's like, bro, whoa, calm down. But if, if they're going to the cash and carry, then I suppose it makes sense because that's going to take a couple of hours out of his day. Yeah. Anyway, carry on. Sorry. But she lets him drive. She does. So as he's driving, um, she's like, she tells him, if, if the police stop us, then I'm diabetic and you're taking me home, <laughs> which is quite funny. And as he's driving, she starts asking him about her life and she's like yo i am like completely i'm the coolest mom ever with regards to you being gay with regards to going out every night i would like to have a little discussion about that but lovely lovely gay lovely gay love it so cool but you know going out at night every night may, maybe we can have a little discussion about that and by the way who's Stuart? and then he jumps out the That's car. Crazy. it's so funny because it's like best case scenario for like a mum in this situation she wants him to be his own person, but also she cares about him. And it's it's completely not about him being gay. No. It's just about him going out every single night, which fair enough. Because he's 15. You know, we, we almost forget that he is, you know, he's an insufferable little shit. But he's also a 15 year old, which which is what Colin, Colin from Gay Manchester. Gay Manchester Sex. Yes. Colin from Gay Manchester Sex, a.k.a. Good Fuck. He remembered that he's just a 15-year-old kid and actually he shouldn't, he shouldn't be mixed up in all this going out every night. And uh, Nathan's mum remembers that too. And it's one of those moments. Yeah. But no, 
What does Nathan do? He jumps out of the car. Jumps out of the car, runs to Donna's, shouts at Donna like, let me in, let me stay with you. And then she's like, I can't. And she, what's her reason? It's like... She burnt, burnt the ham. She burnt the ham. <laughs> she's been grounded because she burnt the ham. Like she can't cook. She's been grounded because she can't cook. <laughs> Some people have got tough parents, you know. If if I was in that household, I'd never go outside. I never go outside as it is, but I wouldn't be allowed to. You know? <laughs> Again, another fantastic line from from Donna. She calls um, Nathan a novel. She says you're like a novel. Whoa, she's coming out with all the best similes today. Yeah, where is her spinoff? You know. Well, well, don't ooh, don't get um, RTD started about that. Yes, I was alluding to the Wikipedia article. I'll do some more research into that someday, but for now it's just a stub on a Wikipedia article, but I know what you're talking about. Um, And then this is the moment that Nathan takes what um, Donna called him earlier and now is like, I'm fucking Mozart. As in, I'm Mozart and inserts fucking in between those words. He's not trying to say that he's having sex with Mozart. And then he runs down the road. No, he would though. He would. The amount he lies, he might as well. (laughs) And that's that is then when we cut to the halfway break of the episode. And that is um, where, it's a very random point. I don't know why I stopped watching at um, this point when I was first watching the show. But that was all I had seen um, of Curious Folk until this morning. Wow. Well, you missed out on a great scene then for for however long, because uh, good thing you've seen it now, because we get the scene where Stuart and Vince go to Phil's house. This is a nice scene because it's... It's Stuart being more, like, sentimental. Mm-hmm. But also, he is taking Vince to Phil's house to clear out their pawn. So he's still... So he can still sort of dress it up as, you know, oh, I, I don't have super deep emotions. I'm just here to mm. do Phil a solid by, by clearing out his pawn. But actually, he, you can tell that he is also there to remember the house. Yeah. But it's it's an odd thing because... When they were talking to the guy that was flirting with Vince at the the wake, who used to do Phil's accounts, Vince said, "Oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't really know Phil that well. We were just pub friends, you know. We only ever just went out drinking." Um, but then Stuart's the one when asked, "Oh, so what do you do with your real friends? Well, you go out drinking." Do you get a sense? Is that just a joke, or is Stuart the one that actually recognizes the value of friendship more than others? I think he kind of means it like he realizes that that it sounds bad yeah but he realizes that actually you know that is all i do with my real friends anyway so this sort of distinction is it's more about how much you know about someone's life and he just didn't know loads about phil's life it is sad because like this episode we get a sense of it like who actually knew like knew phil because once he was living on his own it seems like none of his friends were really that great friends. I mean, you know, it, think considering how many days it took someone to check up on him, like mm. clearly no one was that uh, was that amazing. And then, of course, his mum didn't really know because, you know, he was living on his own and that's just kind of how it goes when you move out from your parents' house. And so it's, like, it's quite unsympathetic to every character that's still alive. Yeah. And there's another quite sad thing is when Stuart and Vince are going through all of Phil's porn... Vince has this line about a gay man's legacy in that they just leave. Because he, of course, you know, instead of just piling it all up, he has to, like, watch, just sample a little bit of Phil's porn. And he's watching it on the telly. And he's like, well, all we leave behind is a pile of trash. And they, and this, this sort of, this mo- these moments are quite philosophical, I think, about a mother having to clear out, you know, all this porn and having to go through all this stuff and this quite personal stuff and it being very wrong. Yeah. Throughout it, like, also, Stuart does, like, joke about there being, like, some, like, illegal stuff. 
Uh, and then, and then he says, like, you know, he has all these pictures of you, Vince. All these pictures of you just, you know, just going about your day. And then Vince is like, no, you're joking. And it's like, yeah, I'm joking. And it's like, it's, Stuart is not taking, is not taking a break at any point, you know. But that does, he's always on his bullshit. That does lead to another, just before the scene ends, a very sentimental moment where Vince's response to this joke is, yeah, well, I'm dead good looking. And then Stuart very tenderly and very sincerely says, well, you are. And there's a pause. And then the scene ends. Yeah. And where do they take the porn? They take it to the lesbians. Yeah. Which I think they're actually going um, so that Stuart can go and see Alfred. Yeah. Um, But I think it's Stuart has a very different relationship with Romy than he does with Vince. And it's Romy that gets to say to the pair, you know, you're allowed to be sad. You're allowed to have emotions. Because so far we haven't really directly seen the guys grieve. Yeah. Because I think the scene in the house with the porn, that's a reflection on death and legacy. But they've yet to sort of go, I'm sad, I miss Phil. It is a lovely scene at Romy's. They actually have a bit of time to, to reflect. Because, I mean, as, as I said, like, this this episode is a lot of, like, people meeting different people and having different mini-conversations as they go about the day. Mm. We don't see anything of Phil's life, really, but it's clear that he did have one. And in some aspects, people didn't really know him or cared enough to, to check up on him. And in other aspects, did know who he was. And yeah, it's just a good episode, I guess. And then you start, the, the reflections get further as people look to themselves and their own lives. And Vince starting to think that their late 20s, early 30s, the fact that they're still going out and having random hookups. Vince is like, yeah. this is totally pathetic. And Stuart, on the other hand, is like, no, it's brilliant. I want to do this until I'm 65 yeah, and, and, like, and downing Viagra. At one point, Vince is like, I could die, who knows? And yeah. then Stuart says, yeah, like anything's going to happen to you. But of course, like anything was going to happen to Phil. Which is so different to, I forgot to say it earlier when we were still at the wake, uh, but at the Camp Alexander's reaction is, well, I was with him on the night and it could have been me. And you just think, you attention-seeking idiot. Yes. <laughs> Meanwhile, we have to remember that Nathan has run out of a car and is just loose in Manchester. Yes, he's loose in Manchester. He goes to Stuart's house. Stuart is not in. And even a woman coming out of the building says, he's not in. And good, because he's loud. Peace and quiet. Yeah, and she's like, finally, some peace and quiet. It's it's such a hilarious bit. And then he, he runs to Babylon. And what he does is, this is very clever. He goes to Babylon to renew his membership, supposedly. And he goes to the guy gets the membership card scanned, quickly, like, jumps over to, like, look at the computer screen to find Bernard's address, which is, of course, Vince's mum's address. And then he runs to Vince's mum's house. And I think it's hilarious that sort of this small moment in the last episode, you know, getting the guy's membership card, actually becomes an important like tool in this episode like nathan is is very crafty he's very clever he's an evil genius and i love this moment because we find out where in manchester vince's mum lives where is it ardwick which is um one mile southeast of the center of town so that's proper proper inner city and that's why when we go there you get those lovely views of the 90s skyline that's where in manchester russell lives well, of course he would put the most iconic character in, in his neighbourhood, you know. Yeah, this is just, I just, I'm just absolutely floored by Nathan's behaviour. He's pro- This is proper crazy. This is where I'm like, you, you are basically Mr. Muscle from episode one. 
But I then I also suppose Nathan sees himself at this point as being in distress and so goes to people he seemingly trusts outside of his family. But he's not actually in distress. And then they, I think they call Vince to get him to come. Yeah. And he's like, what, what, what has he done? And like, why is he stalking me when he's trying to get to Stuart? You know, I think from this point on, like generally every action Vince takes is justified. But especially from this point on, he, he kind of freaks out a bit. And I think completely justified because Nathan is like his antagonist. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the role Nathan is playing is, is Vince's foil. But he gets to he gets to his mum's house and they're all sitting at the table trying to figure out what to do next. And Nathan is explaining a situation. And like at first he says, you know, I got kicked out of the house and my dad is really violent. And like, you know, I need to I can't go back. And then they kind of see through that story. And he's like, oh, actually, it's school. You know, I can't go back to school, uh, even though what happened at school was like not quite as dramatic no. it was all a bit more low-key it was all a but he, he he feels the need to find some excuse to to not go back and they're like we just want to know where you live so that we can tell your mum you're okay and he's not even doing it. and it's like team anti-nathan is is getting a lot of uh talking points from this scene i just can't you know the boy has a loving mother and he's prepared to slander her and just attention seeker this is what he is attention seeking i can't stand him and i you know what i i knew that i i knew i loved vince because vince sees straight through it and he's like i don't believe a word that you're saying but yet vince's mother because she is the mother of all mothers she lets she agrees to let him stay the night she agrees to let him stay and also like when they're like talking about getting him home mm-hmm. they're wondering if someone if like Bernard should accompany him in case his his father is like that. Yeah. So like even though they don't believe him, they don't dismiss everything he says. They're they're still cautious of what what if something he's saying is true, which is yes. interesting. They're, they're very and, generous to him. You know, if he does have a violent father, Bernard threatens to call the police, and they don't. Yes, no, that's that's why he stops telling yes. the story of his violent yeah. father because he says, well, actually, it's school because he's like, oh no. If they call the police, then that's it. Like yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm screwed. So that's why he changes the story, and it's, it's, it's such a, it's, it's such a good, good moment. But uh, unfortunately, you know, Vince's anti-Nathan action isn't quite enough, <laughs> <laughs> and he does get to stay in Vince's room, no doubt, in Vince's old room, which I, Vince must not be. I can just imagine Vince at this moment. Yeah. He's not happy. He's already no, no. Um, quite fed up from the like the reflection they've had at Romy's. He's now having to deal with Stuart's shit. Um, Nathan's staying in his old room. He's not happy. Another thing, another thing Nathan does is threaten to like run away to London and become a rent boy. And like no one believes him when he makes that threat either. And it, he's and he's like, I'll become a rent boy and I'll die <laughs> and be killed on the street. <laughs> <laughs> and you just you're just it doesn't um there's that line from bernard or is i can't remember actually is it from um i think it's from his mom she says like this is how you know you're getting older is the drama queens are getting younger exactly and you're just like yeah you nathan has fully developed into full drama queen attention seeking yeah not quite camp in the same way that alexander is but he has a certain flamboyance to him yes yes but still it's still i still want to punch him yeah and actually, what else happens in Vince's room is um, Stuart comes in and just kind of hooks up with Nathan at 
a breakneck speed. Like he's in immediately, they're kissing. Then Im- immediately, you know, he wanks Nathan off, and then he's out of there, and he goes back downstairs as if he just went to the loo. You know, and that all that all starts from a conversation of a pit of of a photograph of a young Stuart on Vince's wall. Yes, yes, he's pointing at. Obviously, Vince doesn't know this at the moment, but this is such a violation of Vince. You know, that's Vince's childhood bedroom. Isn't that where in the previous episode also we found out Vince and Stuart had quite a nascent sexual experience? Oh, yeah. God, nothing nothing is sacred to Stuart, clearly. Yeah. And also to Nathan as well. Yeah. Nathan is prime, as you said, he's prime Vince's antagonist at this moment. Yeah. And that's why I think, well, he, I mean, he doesn't know what's just gone up upstairs. But when Nathan, like the, I mean, oh, I, I know I, I don't know where I can go with this anger when he turns up back downstairs with no shirt on asking for a towel with his smirk and his swagger because he's just got with Stuart again like Vince is just like thanks for asking why we're wearing black tie you know we have just been at a funeral yes finally tells him he was at a funeral and also the fact that after he lets him know that he, that he was at a funeral Nathan isn't like oh god oh fuck I need to pipe the fuck down for at least 24 hours, at least 12 hours. He's, he immediately, when he finds out it was Phil, he was like, oh, I didn't know him. And it's like, yeah, you fucking didn't, did you? Cunt. So anyway, after, after Louis calls the 15 year old child a cunt, (laughs) uh, Vince runs off. He cannot take it anymore. He just like moves out the house and then is just starts running down the street and like Stuart has to follow him in his car. It's, yeah. And it's interesting how half the halfway point of the episode before you go into the advert break is Nathan running down a street away from Donna's house. And they've got a parallel with Vince running away. You know, the pair the pair are opposites, but also the same. Yeah. This is Nathan's real end game is just making everyone run as much as he runs. <laughs> trying to get the country running. It's, 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 he, he, he originated the couch to 5k movement, you know. Because uh, he, starts, he starts the episode on the couch watching cartoons. No, that's the previous episode. Well, that was the start of this episode of the podcast, which we're now concluding because we've reached the end of episode four. Woohoo. So what do you think of Queer as Folk so far, the episodes that you have seen? Um, it's gone from being very fun to now also less fun as in happy and people just going on exciting things and actually getting a little bit darker, making me a little bit unsettled in the stomach at times, but really gripping me in with the drama, making me hate characters, making me love characters, which is the sign of a good drama. I still don't know anyone's name, but uh, that's why I've got notes. Brilliant. Well... Thank you, Zach, for joining me today on another instalment of Davis on Davis. I like how you're thanking me as if I'm I'm not going to be on every single episode. Like I'm just a permanent guest. Look, you're 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 the talent. You're the reason this podcast works. Okay, okay, I, okay, I, okay, I'm not enough. taking you for granted. Okay, no, no, it's good, it's good, it's good. And uh, thank <laughs> thank you for not only having me here, but also thank you for also being here, Louis. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you for thank you for everything yes. that you're doing. So thank you for listening to another instalment of Davis on Davis. Uh, Join us in a week when we'll be covering the next episodes of Queer as Folk. And in the meantime, you can follow me on Instagram at uh, Louis on air uh, with little full stops between the words. uh, And also on Twitter 
at Louis on the air, uh, no spaces. What about you, Zach? Is there anything you would like to plug before we leave? Well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit offended. Uh, earlier, Louis tried to imply that I didn't have any hobbies. So I'd like to share with the listener one of my hobbies. I actually like to collect miniature spoons. Uh, so you can follow me on all socials with the handle I underscore love underscore spooning. Good stuff. And we'll see you next week, unless it's been more than a week, in which case we'll see you when you have time to listen to a podcast. But we won't see you because that's not how this works. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.